I know of no other song I would rather hear leading into our, our text this morning than I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. We struggle daily with sin, don't we? It's something that, that we encounter around every bend. It's something we encounter every day. Every day is different, and we may not know the events of the day, but we can guarantee ourselves one thing. We will confront sin in some way, somehow, every day that we step out of bed. Every day. I want to begin our time this morning by asking you two questions. <clears throat> First is this, and I, and I want you just to consider these, and we'll revisit them. If, if I'm a believer, why do I struggle with sin? If I'm a believer, why do I struggle with sin? So some of you in here, you, you would profess to be a Christian, yet you struggle with sin. Why is that the case? What does that mean? Here's the second question. If I'm a believer, why am I not struggling with sin? If I'm a Christian, why am I not struggling with sin? So on the flip side, some of you in here would say, I'm a Christian, but as we start this morning and we start talking about this, this idea of wrestling with sin, with, with confronting sin and with battling sin, you say, no, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. That's not really a reality in my life, if I'm real honest. I'm not asking if, if I look at you and say, are you a sinner? I think everybody in here would go, oh, I'm a sinner, right? But there, there would be some of you, if you were gut level honest, you would say, I don't wrestle with sin, but I'm a Christian. I'm here. I'm at church. I just don't wrestle with sin. So what does that mean? Why is that? Now, I, I realize that these two questions, they somewhat polarize those of you in here that are unbelievers. If you're not a Christian, it, it kind of sets you apart because you can really only answer or even ask yourself these questions if, you're a, if you would profess to be a Christian. And you can really only ask one of those questions in your life. I can't say I never struggle with sin, but I do struggle with sin. I either do or I don't. And so it, it somewhat says, okay, you have Christians over here, and then you have non-Christians, and I understand that. Here's why this, this question has to kind of polarize those of you in here that are not believers. is because in John 8, 34, Jesus says everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The, the reality is that, that sin really isn't a struggle for an unbeliever. Why? Because it is master over you. Ephesians 2 talks about us walking according to the ways of the world, according to our evil desires when we're outside of Christ. That's just who we are. We live according to our desires before Christ. And so if you're an unbeliever, that's just, you don't wrestle with sin. You revel in it. You enjoy it. It's who you are. And we expect you to be that way, because I was the same way before I came to Christ myself, as was any other Christian in here. But I, I trust that as we go through our text this morning, you will find that these two questions in this text will help you to think through this issue of sin, whether you're a believer or unbeliever, because all of us in here would say, you know what, sin is present. Sin is present. It's a part of our lives. It's a part of what we confront. 
I would ask you to turn this morning to Romans chapter 7. And as you turn there, I want to give you a little bit of background on what's going on because we're kind of jumping into a passage this morning that we, we haven't been spending a lot of time in. You know we've been in the book of John and we're taking a little break from that as Pastor Bill is gone. The, the letter to the church at Rome was written by Paul to both Jew and Gentile believers. And apparently there was some type of conflict going on there among the believers. We don't know exactly what. We don't know the extent of it. The, in, in the book, there's some things that would give us some evidence to what that might be, but we don't know the details of it. So Paul writes, and he basically builds somewhat of a legal case. And, and, and the question would be, what is this legal case? What does he build, right? What, what is his argument? His argument is this, that whether you're a Jew or you're a Gentile, it makes no difference. You stand on the same ground. You stand in the same position before God, guilty of sin, in need of his grace. It doesn't matter who you are. And so he would look at the same of us here this morning. He would say, listen, people of Grace Baptist Church, no matter who you are, where you're from, how long you've gone to church, how much money you have, how popular you are, what kind of job you have, it doesn't matter who you are, what your role in the church is, you still stand in need of God's grace. And he presents that case through Romans. In Romans 1 through 3, he builds a case of man's guilt and God's wrath, right? If you ever do a study of Romans, you get to chapter 3 as quick as you can, right? I mean, you want to get through those, that first section because you're sitting here going, wow, this is not good news. But man, Romans 3 is wonderful news. As, as he builds a case, he says, okay, man is guilty. God is going to judge that guilt. He's going to react with his wrath. He's going to punish man for his guilt. But thanks be to God that we have in Romans 3, God's grace. In Romans 4 and Romans 5, we read of the immeasurable grace and love of our God. We read into Romans 6 and we come to Paul's case where he talks about that believers are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Sin is no longer master over you. Those of you who are in here this morning, that, that we are believers, we confess Christ, we've been saved. Sin is a reality, but is not a master in our lives. Because Christ has redeemed us and saved us from it. And then as we come into the first part of chapter 7, Paul begins writing about the law. Why? He's writing to Jews and Gentiles. But he's writing and he says, listen, my brothers, those of you who know the law, the, the law is not evil, he says. The law is spiritual. It's from God. The law is of God. But I still sin. Why? It's not because the law. It's because of me. It's still it's my sinful desires. The law is not guilty. I am. And so we pick up in Romans 7, verse 14. Read with me this morning. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want 
I do not do. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Some have called this the golfer's passage. And the reason for this is those of you who play golf understand that typically that that you want to do, you do not do. And that that you don't want to do, you do. I, I have got the most beautiful, incredible slice known to man when I hit it in the air. And the problem is, is when I come to a spot and I want to hit that, I actually want to do it, I can't do it. It goes the other way. And so, so golfers know, you experience this every time you play. I want to hit it around, I hit it that way. I want to avoid the house, I hit the house. That's why Ricky's quit the golf tournament, I think. It was too dangerous. So the first question we need to answer and ask, uh, ask and answer of this passage is this. Is who is he speaking of here? Who, who's the golfer? If you look at it and say this is a golfer's passage, who is this golfer? Biblically, when you look at this, this is a very important question because the way you understand this, the way you interpret it, determines how you see this and see our wrestling with sin as a believer. So there's three options. Historically, there's three, three primary ways that people have interpreted who is speaking here in this passage? We know Paul is writing it, but, but who is he writing it as? And so the first option is this, is that, that Paul has now started to refer back to his life as an unbeliever. People would say this because you see in verse 14 there that he refers to being sold into bondage to sin. And then in verse 18, he says, nothing good lives in me, right? And so those are pretty compelling evidence. The problem here is this. And this is a significant problem we'll talk about in a few moments. That the delight that, law ex that, that Paul expresses in the law, that this isn't found in an unbeliever. Unbelievers don't delight in wanting to serve God. That's not a desire we have. I, listen, as an as a unbeliever, I never desired to serve God. Now, I had a desire to look good for my parents, and I had a desire to look good for my Sunday school teacher and to make myself look good but I never had a desire just to serve and glorify God. I didn't. I didn't. So this is a, a significant problem. Here's another problem. Is that if you say he's speaking as an unbeliever here, then why does he use the present tense all through this passage? Paul makes a shift in the Greek in, in verse 14 where he begins speaking of the present tense of, of the reality of what's going on now. So why would he speak in the present tense? Because he's writing as a believer if he's referring to his life in the past as an unbeliever. This doesn't quite make sense. The second possibility of who Paul's writing is, is as a carnal Christian. 
This is a, a notion that was really popularized in the last half of the 20th century here in the United States, that, that one can have Christ as Savior, but not serve Him as Lord. So, so I can be saved, but I can still live as though I'm not saved because I have not submitted to Him as Lord. Okay, And so some people say, you know what? In verse 14, Paul does say that I'm unspiritual or I'm of the flesh. Some people say that John MacArthur says, he translates and says he's fleshy. That Paul says he's fleshy. And so we look at that and go, well, maybe. The, the people that would interpret him as a carnal Christian would say, well, I think chapter 7 and chapter 8 kind of stand in contrast to one another. But when we read it as a whole, we see that that's not the case at all. That's not the case. There's a couple of problems. One, this concept, you can't support it with Scripture. You, you just can't. This whole idea of, hey, I'm going to confess Christ as Savior, but oh, I'm just going to wait and confess Him as Lord later. If we rightly handle Scripture and we really look at the whole of the canon, it just doesn't happen. What is the calling of Christ? Follow me. Confess with your mouth what? Jesus is Lord. Jesus looks to those who say, well, wait, let me, let me handle this before I follow you. And he says, no, there will be no waiting. Follow me now. Let the dead bury the dead. Follow me. The precedent of Scripture is that Jesus is Lord. Also problematic here is that any time Paul contrasts life in the flesh and life in the Spirit, it's a contrast between death and life. Now, there's a, a subtle distinction here. In verse 14, he says, I am of flesh. Look at verse 14 with me. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh. I am of flesh. Paul, Paul's saying, that's, that's just who I am. I'm fleshy. I am flesh. I'm a man. The law is spiritual. The law is of God. He, he's not saying I am not living in the law. I'm not living in Christ. I'm living in the flesh. He says, I am of flesh. That's who I am. Look at Romans 8, 5 through 8. Read this with me. Slip over a page in your, in your Bible. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile towards God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It's in the flesh. Are you living according to the flesh? Or are you living according to the Spirit? Paul's not unaware of the battle that goes on in our lives. And I don't believe he's dealing with a carnal, speaking as a carnal Christian. The third option would be where I would land. I think it's the most faithful reading of the text. It's where... The same place that historically Augustine, Luther, Calvin, the Puritans, John MacArthur, John Stott, some contemporary writers, they would land as well, along with a host of other theologians throughout church history. Is that Paul is writing as a believer? What is the evidence of this? If we say, okay, here Paul writes as a believer, well, here's the evidence. One is, look at Paul's opinion of himself. Think about the way Paul describes himself throughout this passage. How does he, how does he do so? He, he does so as a sinner. He says, I am sinful. I'm sinful. 
I am a failure. He has a humility about himself, a conviction. He knows where he stands. He knows that he is not perfect. He knows he does not obtain all the law. Now consider what he says in Philippians 3. When he is, we know without a shadow of doubt, when he is talking about his life before Christ, what does he say? Man, as, as to the law, what? I'm found blameless. I was the man. I served. I kept the law. I was righteous. But here he doesn't. He, he says, I, I'm failing. I'm a sinful man. Another case that this is a believer is that Paul longs for the final deliverance of Christ in verses 24 through 25. He looks and he wants Christ to come and save him. He longs for that. I don't know many unbelievers who are longing for Christ to come and save them. I just don't. But here we see Paul crying out, save me, save me. He wants the presence of God. As was stated earlier, verse 14, he begins using the present tense. Paul, the great theologian and missionary, the pillar of the faith is writing in the present tense. His mind is set on God. He says in verse 22, I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. His mind, the law of his mind, is being warred against by the law of his body. Paul is writing as a believer. The clincher is this. In my opinion, if I had to say there's one reason that I would say it's a believer is this. Is that Paul writes with a true delight and a true desire, a want to serve God. Look at verse 22. He writes, For I joyfully concur with the law of God. He, he joyfully concurs with it. And then in verse, um, verse 19, he wants to do good. The, the good that I want, I do not do. But he, he says, I want to do that. I desire that. There's a, there's a presence that, that he, he desires to serve God and please God and glorify God. We see that. And I think you would agree with me, again, as we stated earlier, that, that unbelievers don't desire that. The psalmist Road and it was quoted in Romans 3, that there are none who seek to do good. There are none good. There are none righteous. No, not one. But Paul here delights. He wants it. Martin Luther said this. He says, The whole passage shows very clearly a strong hatred against the flesh and a sincere love for the law and all that is good. No carnal man ever does this. He rather hates the law and follows his flesh and evil lusts. The spiritual man fights against his flesh and deplores that he cannot do what he desires to do. Don't you, don't you find that you would agree with that in here? If you're a, if you're a Christian and, and you're seeking to serve Christ, do you not know exactly what is being said here when Paul says, that which I want to do, I do not do it. I don't do it. As, as believers, we struggle with sin. That's why it's important for us to look at this and go, okay, who is writing this? Because we know as believers, we struggle. We struggle 
with sin. We know we do. I, I struggled yesterday. Yesterday. We get ready to come up for youth worker training, and, and my children are tired and grumpy, and they fought a little bit. And I was driving, gritting my teeth, going, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to. And there I went, you know, and I, and I, I was not a great dad. I didn't handle it. I didn't deal with their heart. What did I deal with? I dealt with their actions. And I sat there. It's funny. I don't know. Maybe God allowed me to go through that to go, hey, listen, you preach to yourself tomorrow. Because I drove thinking, I don't want to do that, and I shouldn't have done that, but I did. And I had to look at one of my children yesterday and say, I'm sorry. I should not have responded the way. That doesn't excuse you. <laughs> but it sure doesn't excuse me either. Because you know what? I need Christ every hour. Just like my children need Christ every hour. Just like you need Christ every hour. We need Him every hour of our day. Because we wrestle with sin. Listen, there's lies that sin tells us. And here's, here's why it's important. Because if we don't understand this rightly, then here's the lies that sin, deceitful sin, will cast at us that I don't want you to buy into. The first one would be this, is that, that you can defeat sin in your own power. You know what? I can whip it. I can beat sin. That's a lie. You can't. If you could do that, Jesus would not have come and died on the cross in your place as a propitiation for sin. He would not have done that if we could beat it on our own. The second lie if, is... Hey, you know what? If you're experiencing struggles with sin, you are not saved. Or, at best, you're just some type of subpar Christian. You're not worthy of the seat you're sitting in, in this church. Because you're struggling with sin. Well, guess what? That's a lie. That's a lie. Paul, a mature believer, writes, I struggle with sin. I struggle. And he gets the best of me. If you struggle with sin, it doesn't mean you're subpar in any way. The third lie related to that one is that, you know what, if I'm a mature Christian, I'm not going to struggle with sin anymore. I'll grow out of it. Again, that's a lie. Some of you in this room would agree with me that the older you grow, and the more you come to serve Christ, the more mature you come in, become in Christ, the more aware of your sinfulness you become. We used to do an illustration sometimes with our students where we would turn all the lights out and set a light over on this side and take a paper plate and say, what color is this plate? White. Okay, good. And so you start moving it closer to the light, closer to the light, closer to the light, and as you get closer to the light, you see that it's greasy, it has pizza stains on it, it's dirty. What color is this plate? It's pretty nasty. Right. Because why? Because the closer we get to the light, the closer we get to Christ, the more aware of our sinfulness we become. The more aware of our sinfulness we become. Does that mean the Christian life is a life of guilt? That we walk and as we grow in Christ, we just become shackled with guilt? No. No. What do we begin with today? 
come to me. Come to me. Why? Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So how is that? If the more I walk with Christ and the more I grow in Him, the more aware of my sin I become, why, is that? why am I not ridden with guilt every time I walk through these doors? Because the more I grow in Christ, the more I understand His grace. The more I understand the sacrifice that it took on the cross. Every time I handle a situation poorly, every time I let my temper get the best of me, Every time I think a sinful thought, God deals with me in that. And I realize that is why Christ died for me. Even while I was yet a sinful man, He demonstrated His love for me and died. So what can we learn? Let's walk through this passage quickly this morning. What can we learn from this passage regarding our battle with sin? The first thing in verses 14 to 20 is this, is that we on our own are impotent to fully obey God's law and not sin. On our own, we are helpless and powerless. Verse 14 to 20. We, we really get the sense here of Paul's frustration. What does he say? He says, that which I'm doing, I don't understand for I'm not practicing what I would like to do. I, it's frustrating. I want to do it, but I can't. I want to obey the law, but I can't. Every time I turn around, I fail. You know the reality of this. Paul wants to obey. He wants to please God, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And so he laments in verse 18. He says, there's nothing good that dwells in my flesh. Nothing. This, this fleshy man that I am, there's nothing good that dwells in me. He cries out. He grieves over his inability to live on his own power in obedience to the law. Here's what you need to realize is this, is that the person who tries to please God on his or her own will always, always end up discouraged and frustrated. If you come to church and you've spent the week trying to live according to to God's law, and you've tried to meet all the requirements, and you've tried to live for Christ all week on your own strength, and you will be frustrated. We have no power over sin. We've got to come to grips with that. The whole, hey, you know what? You get yourself out of that mess. You, you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Listen, Paul knew nothing of that. Paul would say, you're crazy. You're crazy. If you're trying to do that, you're wasting your time. Wasting your time. Seek God's grace. Number two, in verse 21 to 23, sin is present in our lives. So we learn first that we are impotent against sin. Second, we learn that sin is present in our lives. As believers, it is there. What is Paul's conclusion in this section? He says, I find the principle that evil is present in me. It's present. It's here. He's aware of that. Look at Romans 6, 12 to 14. This is why you have to go, well, Paul is totally aware of this struggle. He's totally aware. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, 
For you are not under law, but under grace. It's present. It's present. But it is not your master. Believers, you have to know that. Sin is present. He's aware. Listen, Paul is aware that sanctification is a process. It's a process. As you grow in Christ, you daily become more like Him. And by God's grace, I'm more like Christ. I'm glorifying God greater now than I was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago. Because God is working in my life. He is conforming me to His image. Sin is not my master anymore. It is not. But it's present. The penalty of sin has been absorbed in the blood of Christ. The power of sin has been abolished by the price He paid, but the presence of sin is still here. Believers, you need to know that. The price has been paid. Redemption has been won. But sin is still present. We need to be honest with ourselves about this. In our own lives, but you know what? Honestly, we need to be aware of that in others' lives too. What do we like to do? We like to go, yeah, you know what? I do struggle with sin. Thank you. Amen. Preach it, brother. Right? You're, you're tracking. Yes. Right on. Yeah, I do struggle. Thanks. That's encouraging. It's good to know that Apostle Paul struggled. It's much more difficult to look and say, you know what? Eddie really irritated me this week. And I can't believe he did that. What is he thinking? And we go about our day. I'll remember that, Eddie. It's easy to do that, isn't it? But it's much more difficult in the midst of that to look at Eddie and go, Wow, he's a sinner struggling with the presence of sin just like I am. Just like me. The times when sin gets the best of me and I go, wow, I can't believe I did that. You know what? Something's going on in Eddie's life and sin's getting the best of him. Now, as far as I know, Eddie and I are great. He can tell me after the service if there's something. Or we may not be great anymore after using him in the sermon. (laughs) We live in a tension of already and not yet is basically what we're saying here. And Paul is aware of this, that we've already been redeemed as Christians, but we have not yet been saved out of the presence of sin. We still struggle with it. The third thing that we learn from this passage, verses 24 to 25, is that Jesus is the only answer. You see the frustration of Paul leading up. You see the conclusion of Paul. There's evil within me. I struggle. But then you see the conclusion of Paul. The final stand. Who will save me? Wretched man that I am, who will set me free? Who will set me free? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will set me free? Christ will. Christ. I can't do it. Christ is the answer. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Paul is at the end of himself. He's come to the end. I can't do it. I can't do it. He doesn't say, what must I do? You you understand, Paul doesn't get to the end and go, okay, what do I need to do about it? He doesn't say that. He says, who's going to save me? I'm a wretch. Who's going to save me? 
Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us. I need thee every hour. Every hour. I need thee every hour. Christ is our Savior. He rescues us. Listen, believers, know this. If you don't live in this, if you don't trust this, you will be frustrated, disheartened, discouraged. Because you deal with sin. You deal with it just like I do. So let's return to those two questions. Let's return to those two questions this morning. If I'm a believer, why am I not struggling with sin? I have two prayers for this sermon this morning as I looked at this text. One is that those of you who are in here this morning that are believers, that become discouraged with sin just like I do at times, you become frustrated, you grieve over it, God, please encourage them this morning. That's my prayer, is that you would find encouragement to know that, you know what, this is part of the Christian life. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within you. But the other prayer is this, is that those of you in here who say, I'm a Christian, but the whole of that is showing up on a Sunday morning, and you say, I never struggle with sin, that that God would bring conviction to your life and either show you that sin You have let sin, you have let sin, if you're a believer, reign over you in such a way that it is returned as master when it is not your master. Or that God would open your eyes to say, I have lied to myself. I am not a believer. Not a believer. If I'm a believer, why am I not struggling with sin? Beware. If that's you, if you say, I'm a Christian, but I never wrestle with sin, beware. Beware. That's all I can say to you. Beware, because a wrestling with sin, a battle with sin, is a hallmark. It's a a mark of a believer. If the Holy Spirit dwells within me, how can I not battle against sin in my life? How can I not battle against it? It's a hallmark. Listen, on a side note, parents, sometimes you, you wonder, well, how do I know if God's working in the life of my child? Look, look for grieving over sin. Look for repentance. Look for them being unsatisfied with sin. Not that they're sinless, but then when they sin, there's, there's grief over that. That it truly grieves them. That they get frustrated that they do it. Why? Because even as a young child, they, they battle it. They battle it. Look for that. Youth, children, if you're wondering, what's God doing in my life? If there's a struggle with sin, if you have a desire to please God, then God's doing something in your life. Listen, you, you need to know that. You need to look for those. The second question. Those of you in here, if you're a believer, why do you struggle with sin? If you are a believer, you say, man, I am pursuing God. I'm running hard after Him. But I'm struggling with sin. Why? Because God's sanctifying you. And there's sins that you understand in your life now that you weren't unaware of before. There's things in my life that God has woken me up and said, wow, Todd, you really, really need to deal with this by my grace. That years ago, I had no idea. But as God matures me in Christ and grows me in Christ and sanctifies me in Him, I see those. 
Listen, Paul's a mature believer. He's a mature believer and he writes of this struggle. Find encouragement in that this morning. That you know what? No matter how much you struggle, how hard it is, how frustrating it is, no matter how down on yourself you may get, thanks be to God through Christ that saves you. Find hope in His grace. Many of you know who G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton is. He wrote this regarding sin. Remember we talked about sin has no authority in your life. It is not your master. He wrote this. He said, if a rhinoceros were to enter this restaurant now, there's no denying that he would have great power here. But I should be the first to rise and assure him that he has no authority whatsoever. Isn't that a great illustration of sin? That right now, if a, if a rhino busts through that door, every little boy's dream, right? A rhinoceros busts in the sanctuary. Chesterton says, you know what? I would be the first to arise and say, you've got a lot of power, buddy, but you have no authority in this church. And in the life of a believer, when sin comes upon you and it kicks your tail, you can look at it and say, you know what? You've got some power, but you have no authority over me. The only one that has authority over me is my Savior, Jesus Christ. And by His grace, I'm going to whip you. And I'm going to trust Him. And I'm going to run hard after Him. Because you have no authority over my life. I'm going to read you this quote from Chris Lungard, writing on the quote from Chesterton. Encouraging you who have realized that you're battling sin. He writes this, The better you know this rhino, sin, the more you will hate it. And to the length that you abhor it, and no farther, you will grasp for grace against it. But if you don't find yourself dodging the rhino's horn day and night in a struggle against sin, it may be that you've made peace with the rhino. You're willing, happily, willingly, happily under its power and rule. In that case, you should doubt that you are born of God. No one who is born of God can live at peace with sin. I appeal to you for the sake of your soul, run to Christ. Only He can slay the rhino in your heart. That is indeed my prayer this morning. That we find encouragement in Paul's testimony in Romans 7. That we wrestle with sin, but it is not master over us. And God is sanctifying us in Christ. But if you stand this morning and you say, I do not wrestle with sin, that you would examine your heart, and as Paul writes elsewhere in the New Testament, you would make sure, you would test to see that you are in the faith. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Lean on His grace. Trust in His mercy. And I plead, if you are at peace with the rhino, or it is master over you, run to Christ. Let's pray. Father God, it is with a heart of thanksgiving that many of us bow 
this morning, finding encouragement in the testimony of Paul that we battle with sin, we struggle with sin, we are fleshy. But God, we do not serve sin as our master, we serve you. And so God, we find great encouragement knowing that by your grace, you're making us more like you. And we pray that you would strengthen us by your grace to follow you and serve you and glorify you. And God, I pray for those in this room this morning, God, who, who have allowed sin to reign over them. God, I pray that they would not try to lift themselves, but God, they would cry out to you for help. And I pray that you would indeed raise them up out of the muck and the mire. Give them, by your grace, the strength to flee temptations, the strength and the discipline to live for your glory. And God, for those in here this morning who do not know you, God, they cannot defeat sin on their own. God, I pray that they would find rest and peace in you and that they would come to you in faith to receive mercy and grace from the only place it's found, at the foot of the cross. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.